What is going on, Everyday Send subscribers? It is Sunday, May 7th, and we are here to do another members pod with submitted hot takes from everyone who is following along and subscribe to everydaysends.com. If you are unfamiliar and you are subscribed here, what we like to do is throw some uh, prompts, I guess, on the Instagram story on the close friend side if you're subscribed to everydaysends.com and uh, you get to submit some takes and we're going to shout you out on on Instagram and everything. So, um, Brandon, we've got some good ones. We've got some good... uh, some some juicy hot takes here that we're gonna throw up, and um, I guess I'll just start with one here that that I I like to talk about because like who who doesn't like talking about Jake Sanderson? Uh, so this is from uh, Hacksman sixty one on Instagram that Jake Sanderson will win the Norris in five years or less. Again, these are hot takes that are submitted by members, and we are just gonna give our opinions if we agree or not, if we can see it being feasible. Feasible. Um, so we'll start with uh, Jake Sanderson winning the Norris in five years or less. Uh, agree or disagree? Um, it's, it's going to be tough because they're hot takes. So, um, I think I want to look at both sides of it a little bit. So I think if you go through the, the last few years and you look at the Norris winners, these are obviously guys like the Cal McCars, the Victor Hedmans. Um, you know, it's, it's clear number one defenseman who kind of lead their team and lead defensemen. And a lot of that has to do with points as well. I mean, you have to produce, which was obviously one of the reasons Sanderson was kind of snubbed from the Calder this Calder this year was that he didn't produce a whole lot. Um, it's obviously bold. I think if I said I agreed, it would be very bold to say, yes, Jake Sanderson will win the Norris. Uh, however, I mean, in a few years, if Ottawa, like if we see Ottawa being a powerhouse and being among the top teams in the league uh, in a few years time, I think Sanderson will probably be at the forefront of that. Like he's going to be their top defenseman, I think. I think he'll pass Shabbat in that sense as well. Uh, in which case, like, yeah, if Ottawa's starting to get recognition, especially with the new ownership coming in, they're starting to, you know, not be considered that small market team that nobody cares about. Sanderson could definitely get a lot more uh, recognition around the NHL. So I think you can see both sides of it, but I, uh, I think longer term is a, a better prediction, but yeah, I like this one for sure. I, I like it obviously. Cause, cause if it happens, I'll be ecstatic, but I'm going to say no. And only because think of all the defensemen in the league right now who are just dominant and they're, they're one of the best in the league, but don't get any recognition. Right. And it's such a, there's probably 10 defensemen in the league who could win in any given year. Um, and and also another factor is is this Kale McCarr guy over in, in Colorado. I mean, he played 60 games this year, and he was still a top three finalist for the for the award. Like that should tell you that it it might be his to dominate for the next you know five years. So uh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say no, and it's not like it's a yes or no question, right? Like I, again, I would be completely you know ecstatic, like I said, if he wins it in the next five years or less. Uh, I just think Sanderson, what he's 20 now. When he's 26, 27, that's, that's in six, seven years, I think that's when we'll see him in his prime and um, hopefully, obviously, in a Senator's jersey for a long time to come. But five years is, is definitely bold because it, it'll depend on the step he takes. And I think maybe a good comparable just in how he you know gets his name up in the league ranks is Rasmus Dallin in, in Buffalo, right? He was probably a Norris candidate this season, but just didn't have that good of a season to be in the top three. So or to even be considered because someone always comes out and has a hundred point season like Eric Carlson did in San Jose. So, uh, but that's a great one there from Haxman. Uh, okay. We're going to slide over to another one. This is a bit of a flashback Friday, if, if you will, uh, on, on the Sunday even. Uh, and, and we're going to remember some, uh, so some goalies that, that, that the Sens have gone through and it's been an absolute carousel throughout this rebuild. Um, we're going to go with Magnus Helberg. So if Ottawa had kept Magus, Magnus Helberg, they would have been a playoff team. And that comes from Brandon Allen, Elaine, four, excuse me, uh, over on Instagram. If Ottawa had kept Magnus Helberg, they would have been a playoff team. Again, 
Magnus Helberg was uh, played for one game, I believe, uh, this season for the Senators, and um, he won the game. And it was early in the year; it was in part of that four-game win streak in October. I believe he played against Dallas, and he won that game. And then it was unfortunately put on waivers when Cam Talbot got healthy. So uh, this is certainly a hot take, I think. Uh, uh, Brendan, I'll let you start there with uh, Magnus Helberg. Brendan, you're going to go up on Brandon's uh, uh, hot take here. Yeah, similar names there. <laughs> but no, I, uh, this one, I don't think there's any way you could agree with it. And the reason I just looked up these stats, but Helberg went to Detroit from Ottawa. Uh, they, they claimed him and he ended up playing 17 games. He went 4-8-1 with a .885 save percentage. Uh, no shutouts, obviously. So, I mean, he gave up 48 goals in those 17 games. And, and I mean, Detroit was a little bit worse than Ottawa, but Ottawa, that defensive structure was one of the worst in the league, and you could even argue, like, the worst in the league. So I don't think they would, he would have gotten a lot of help in Ottawa. He did look really good in that one game he played. I mean, that was exciting, and it sucked to lose him. I remember we were kind of spoiled at the beginning there with a few good goalies who we felt, you know, we were probably going to have to lose somebody here, and then ultimately it ended up that we needed somebody because we had, you know, Levi Marilinen playing in his first career game at the end of the year when we were pushing for the playoffs. So uh, having a Helberg, I mean, it would have probably been better than what Ottawa ended up getting just because, I mean, and even that's kind of bold to say because he didn't do very well in Detroit, but at the same time, they did need somebody. And who knows, if you could even have a guy who's average in there, like a lot of Ottawa's games were not average. They were well below average from the goaltending standpoint. If they could have won a few more games, they would have been right there in the playoffs. So could Helberg have maybe pushed you over the edge? I, I could see that if we're playing devil's advocate. But I think uh, I think it's a little bold to say that when, you know, I don't think he's a big upgrade on Talbot or Sogard. Yeah, and and, and listen, it's so, like hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And if if the argument was maybe if they had him in March where you wouldn't you weren't forced to play Mad Sogard with Mandalizi as the backup for, for a month in the most important month of the season. Um I I would hear that argument I think but it made absolutely no sense for them to hang on to him even though all the goalies went through so many injuries, right? And um it wasn't like when Talbot and Forsberg struggled in November that Helberg was going to come in and, and steal the starting job from any of those two. Like it just I don't think it was realistic. So I don't think they would have been a playoff team if they kept him all year but Certainly, if they had him in March, if they picked up a guy on waivers who could have stepped in and gone on a run, and we thought it would it was going to be maybe Dylan Ferguson, but uh, you know, I think an underrated part of Ottawa's goaltending this season was the goaltending in Belleville because they also got just ruined with injuries. So it was just an absolute mess in the crease. Um, there were a lot of guys who shared the net uh, in Ottawa this year. Yeah, for sure. And I'm just looking at the standings here because I just forgot how far did Ottawa miss by. So they missed by six points at the end of the season, right? So that makes it a little more interesting because, like, considering when you're just thinking Halberg, would he have gotten the playoffs? Like, who knows? But six points, I mean, that's, you know, that's not that's not a whole lot. That's um, three games, right, that you were talking about. So could Halberg have maybe won them three or four more games this year? I mean, that makes the conversation a little more interesting, right? Because how many games did they lose straight up because of goaltending? At the same time, though, like, how many games would they have potentially lost because of him because he wasn't a solidified starter? So, I mean, yeah, I see both sides of it, but uh, th that's a good question. It kind of makes me think about the, the six points thing because they weren't that far out and goaltending was such a concern. But, uh, but yeah, I guess we can move on to the next one here. Yeah, so, so again, goaltending, it's, it's just, I think, if you, like you said, if you look at it like that where it's, it's only six points and it's, it's three wins or even two, oh, and two or whatever, like that would get you there. So uh, it's a good point. So this one's a good, like, this one comes from Not Vitez uh, on Instagram. DJ Smith. And Pierre Dorian should both stay. Uh, I know that we're both probably going to disagree with this one, 
Um, but I think it's it's valid, and and I'll just start by playing devil's advocate to it. I I respect, and not that I agree with how long it's taken or or the way they've gone about it for most of it. I respect the trust in the process that these two specifically have put in. Uh, mainly DJ, to be honest, because Dorian, I think, is just both of them have had, have had unprecedentedly long leashes. I would say. Um, but DJ I'll respect more because he's the guy who has to face the media every single day, uh, twice a day, every day, you know, and, and face all these questions that sometimes are, are, are pretty hard for him to answer about the direction of some players and everything like that. So I respect what both of them have done for the process. I just don't think that, that they should both stay. I don't, I don't think that even having one of them stay could be like, I'd rather see them both go than anything. Um, but you know, we talked about this a couple, uh, probably a couple episodes ago, that uh, we think that DJ will be gone and maybe Dorian will stay, um, just just because there's like, what else is a new GM going to do immediately? Maybe just shore up the depth, but like the big moves have been made already, and Dorian did a decent job at it. So, um, yeah, I don't think that both should say it. I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Um, we have talked about it, and and it comes back to like. They both of them have a lot of respect from the players and, and from the organization, it seems. I mean, we signed that Czech player yesterday, and I'm sure we'll talk about him maybe a little bit more tomorrow just because we're, we're focusing on the hot takes today. But, um, and I think one of the things that came out was he said DJ Smith actually called him and, and kind of shared a little bit of what his vision was for him on the team, and that made him want to sign in Ottawa more. And that's kind of one of the things DJ thrives at is communication and being able to make players believe in him. and, and that is important, right? Like, if you look around the league at some of these teams who are, who are just in a perennial, uh, mediocre phase of, like, they never can just get over the hump, right? And we, we go back to Toronto, but there's a ton of teams like that. And a lot of the time, it comes back to, like, the players don't seem to really believe in what the team is trying to build. They just, they're playing hockey, maybe they're enjoying themselves or making money, but they don't really believe in being a winner, being a champion. And I think the players do believe in DJ to, a, to an extent, right? He does a really good job of kind of sending a message and, and showing that, you know, demonstrating how they're going to achieve things. So it doesn't seem totally unrealistic that they will stay um, just with how this ownership thing gets sorted out and how long it's taking. But at the same time, I would say they should be fired or at least DJ should be fired because of simply looking at the last six years. It just hasn't been good enough. And uh, I tweeted out there, there was a tweet about, I was watching Welcome to Wrexham, Ryan Reynolds's uh, documentary there. And there was a quote that they said uh, after Reynolds came in that like there was a certain standard for winning that was okay previously under different ownership. But now that things had changed, like that standard was, was no longer good enough. And that's kind of how I feel about DJ, right? Is like, yeah, what they've done over the course of the rebuild is fine. They've developed players. They've done a good job in certain aspects, but can they get over that hump? I mean, it seems like they've kind of run their course there with DJ. Yeah. And, and look, like I said, like respecting what their, their trust in this process and everything, but to be honest, I think that their goal was just to build a team and a culture that could sustain a playoff run and do all this. And then quite genuinely, I believe that they have. I believe that what's been built can do that. But getting there is one thing. And I don't think that this regime is built to get them there. Uh, so, again, like the Sens could go on and win the cup in the next three years. And I think when that happens, we'll look at DJ and Dorian, if they're not in the fold anymore, and, and be thankful for everything that kind of happened and look back on these years and not think what could have been, but think about uh, what was and, and how, how important it was for for everyone involved. So, um, all right, let's move on to another one here. Uh, and we're going to go back to Sanderson because the next two, I think are 
um, probably the hottest of the hot takes. Um, let's go with this one comes from Alex Lawler sucks, and it's going to be Jake Sanderson will start next season paired with Travis Hamnick. I think this is a hot take for a couple reasons, Brendan. I'll let you start off though, uh, just on your thoughts about this take. Yeah, so my thoughts initially are if DJ Smith is the coach, I wouldn't be shocked if this happens, and I don't even know how. But we saw it at the end of the season after we acquired Jacob Chikrin. Everybody, including myself, was adamant that like you want to build this really good top four, right? Like even though Chikrin shoots left, if you can build a top four who can compete with anyone in the league, and then have that kind of solid bottom pairing who can play on the penalty kill, do whatever. Um, that that's what you want, right? You want to build that powerhouse top four, and they repeatedly went back to Chikram being on the bottom pairing, or or Sanderson or whoever it was, and building that kind of strong left side instead. And I think that comes back to kind of replicating what Tampa does, because that's what what Tampa's done. And apparently, they also Smith said they also play a very similar system type thing to Tampa. So it seems like they're kind of just copying Tampa in a lot of ways, which isn't the worst thing. But um, building that strong left side just didn't work because the right side was too weak. Like, you can build a strong left side, but you still need your right side to be good enough. And Travis Hamanick, I mean, with Sanderson this year, they had like a negative 11 goal differential at 5v5. Sanderson with any other partner was plus one, and that's a pretty big difference. I mean, that <laughs> that tells you some things right there, right? And let alone all the other metrics that improved when he was away from Hamanick. So, I mean, DJ's talked about how he looks at metrics and he, he kind of evaluates these things, but it doesn't really seem like he does for a lot of things because I just look at that pairing and how much better Sanderson was away from Hamanick. And I think to myself, like, these guys should never be on the ice together again, because it's it's pretty evident that although he's a good leader, Hemenick is having a negative impact on Sanderson's on-ice performance. So if this happens, I, I'm i going to be, like, raging on Twitter, and you can be ready for it, because, my God, I wanted these two to be separated for most of the season. Yeah, if this happens, subscribe to Everyday Sense oh, on geez, YouTube. Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll see our podcast. We'll be talking about it for sure. But, um, you know, the the problem for me is, like, Two things here, right? Um, first, I, I doubt that they would stick him with him. Even if DJ is, I would be shocked again if this happens. Just because of the way Zub and Sanderson finished the year, I would, I would, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I would imagine Zub's best minutes this year were beside Jake Sanderson, like a lot of other defensemen, because he's so good. Um, the the only the reason I think this is the, the hot take though is because verbatim Pierre Dorian said on Belleville Radio, it is JBD's spot to lose next season. That means it's it's Sanderson, Zub, Shabbat, Chikrin, Branstrom, JBD, if J- Bernard Docker comes in and, and has a good camp. According to the GM, right? And it could everything could change again in a, in a month or even a week for all we know. But if the GM's saying it's JBD's spot to lose, I don't believe Travis Hamannick is coming back. Um, little insider information here. I'm, I've, I've heard that Austin Watson has has packed up his things and is gone because, you know, and, and the reason I bring up Austin Watson is because he, him alongside Hamannick were two of the veterans being like, I'd like to be back. But Dorian was pretty adamant that they would only be a one-year deal. I would imagine that Hamannick will probably test the market. And this would be more of a August signing, re-signing than a July 1st re-signing. Because I don't know if it would be a thing the Sens are kind of outbidding other teams for. Um, so there's a lot of reasons I think it's it's just a bit of a hot take, uh, the pairing alone. But I just don't even think Hamannick will be back next year. Um, and that could be wishful thinking, but... To be honest, I, I did like the way he ended the year. I wouldn't hate him being back in general as a 6-7, as a guy to push JBD and a guy to, you know, supplement for injury, blah, blah, blah. Like, he was pretty good on the penalty kill, all this. Um, a lot of block, block shots and, and seemed like a great guy in the room. But, again, like, I, I think they're a much better team with JBD in that spot. So, if the GM's saying that we're holding him to that standard and 
if we know anything, Pierre Dorian is a guy who likes to drop quotes. So I don't think he uh, would have said that without actually meaning. Yeah. And with Hamannick too, I mean, I harped on him a lot this year. Like I was pretty down on Hamannick overall compared to people. I know a lot of people really liked him for the effort he put in it and the leadership traits he brought. And that's right and everything. But for as much as I harped on him, I'd still be okay with bringing him back as like a seven next year, as you said. I wouldn't mind that at all. I mean, he did bring some some quality attributes that are important to any winning team. Um, it just comes back to how they play him. It comes back to usage, which is one of my biggest issues with DJ in specific and the coaching staff is how they use players. Like, I'm fine with Travis Hamannick, and I think he'd even be good in a bottom pairing role where he's playing sheltered minutes. He's not responsible for, like, the top four duties of, of playing against top competition all the time and having to do these different things. I think he's good on the penalty kill, block shots, he sacrifices his body, he throws hits. Like, he, he's a good bottom pairing or seventh guy that you could bring in for injuries too it's they need depth there for sure uh and he'd probably sign for a super cheap as well like you could probably get him for under a million he's not going to cost a lot at this point in his career um but again if you're going to be using him in in a top four role at any point in the season i'm going to be pretty upset about it so it just comes back to uh for this hot take in specific yeah if that happens that's brutal but at the same time i think um travis hamnett coming back in a in a lesser role isn't the worst thing either yeah and just last thing on hamnett too is like I think he's a guy who could thrive in the playoffs as well. It seems like the kind of player who would up his game in that. And I remember him in, in uh, New York, I guess, like yeah. with the Islanders. He was pretty good in, in the playoffs. But another thing, though, is is if this team gets better depth in the third and fourth line are actually offensive lines and can, can contribute offensively, that third pair is important and it needs to be an offensive pairing as well, right? You can't just be a shutdown pair, quote-unquote. Um, so I think that's it's important to consider that because this year I think Hamannick was playing – or the third pair anyway, was playing a lot with, you know, Watson and, and, and Gambrell and all these guys who don't really drive offense. So it'd be interesting to see how that changes with better depth on the team. All right, let's move to uh, some fun ones here. These, these are probably my favorite two that we've got. If you enjoyed the first half of this podcast, you can listen to the second half with a subscription to everydaysense.com. You'll gain access to a private link in which you can watch on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Your subscription not only grants access to additional podcasts, articles, wallpapers, and more, but it supports Everyday Sends and covering the team. Jack and I put countless hours into producing quality, unique content for fans of the Senators, and it just wouldn't be feasible without your support. So not only for the premium content, but also for the free content, we really do appreciate every single one of our subscribers. If you've been considering it, we highly recommend it, and that's where you're going to be able to watch the second half of this episode and every other members-only podcast. So thank you for listening and go subscribe.